RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer. We are so happy that you are here to listen to this thing that we call a podcast. So we got two big guests this week, and uh, we're going to call it the Frankie uh, episode of City Ringside because both are named Frankie. And so we're looking forward to talking to them. One's promoting uh, a documentary that really goes behind the scenes intensely sometimes about their journeyman uh, road to uh, on the independence and, and, and going through some hard times trying to earn a living as a professional wrestler. Uh, the other one is uh, promoting uh, the launch of his uh, brand new cigar company with Cody Rhodes and their partner. And uh, I'm talking about Frankie Siazzo, uh, who is a uh, local uh, Florida uh, guy. And he has a, uh, a movie that was done when he was living in Tennessee that's actually uh, really, really well done. Really great insight behind the scenes into uh, how cruel uh, the world of professional wrestling could be. Not everybody catches a break, and it's a really amazing insight. Uh, but before that, we are going to talk to uh, the co-owner with Cody Rhodes of AmericanRebelCigars.com. He's a current Ring of Honor Tag Team Champion, longtime TNA star, had a cup of coffee with WWE, and is uh, one of the good guys in this business of misfits and, and uh, freaks. No. But uh, in all seriousness, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my first guest this week on City Ringside, Frankie Kazarian. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my guest this week on City Ringside has done it all, multiple champion in TNA wrestling and is the current Ring of Honor tag team champion. And this Thursday at AmericanRebelCigars.com himself and Cody Rhodes and their partner will be taking pre-orders for their first set of cigars. There will be 5,000 total cigars, 100 boxes of 25, and 500 five-packs available. For all you cigar aficionados, the blend is medium body with Nicaraguan filler and Rosado wrapper. Ladies and gentlemen, putting this all together into a cigar and putting together a fantastic career over the last 20 years is my guest, Frankie Kazarian. Welcome, Frankie. Did I get that all right? Dave, what a hell of a sales pitch you just gave me. You got that. You nailed it 100%, man. I, I really appreciate that. And that's uh, good to talk to you, my friend. Happy to be here. Yeah, well, you know, uh, uh, you know, a lot of uh, wrestlers these days, especially it seems like Ring of Honor is a place where people go to become entrepreneurs. Uh, it's unbelievable how I, I, I can't imagine that dressing room sitting around and, and coming up with ideas, but every, everyone seems to be putting on their own shows, starting their own companies. I know you've been in a band for a while and doing a whole bunch of different things, but, uh, but it's great that you're getting, uh, that you're getting into the cigar business. I know, um, uh, I know a lot of, uh, wrestling fans like to kick back after the matches with a cocktail and a, and a cigar. So, uh, uh, make sure you get, make sure you get one of those, one of those five 
Red Packs to Keith Mitchell. You remember Keith? You know Keith Mitchell, right? Oh God, of course I know Keith. I know big, Keith very well. Yeah, I got some. I got some on hold for for uh, Mr. Mitchell. Big, big cigar, big cigar guy, and uh, you know all those producers that uh, that 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 do whatever you know that that that. Uh, work for Keith. They uh, they'll follow him up with a good cigar too. So uh, be some good word of mouth. Anyway, want, want to get uh, into your career? Done a lot of things in a little bit of time. You still look like you're about 22 years old, which pisses me <laughs> off. And to make matters worse, hey, to make matters worse, when you go into your website, and I know you legally you have to do this. You have to put in your birthday because you can't sell to people under 18, I guess. And certainly. But, and then, I don't know if you've seen it, but then so it tells you how how old you are. So a big 52 shot up on the screen. And I was like, gee, thanks. You're still a young man, Dave. Come on. You're still a young man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You look like you're 22 and you're killing me, but, uh, but, but that's neither here nor there. Hey, you know, I was surprised. I've known you a while. I'm not going to say that we're buddies, but, um, I've known you. I think we were back on this uh, 2004 ish on the same, uh, world wrestling all-stars tour. Yeah. And, um, and I was surprised when I was doing, I always, you know, every week I, I do research for a different interview and there's always something that surprises me that I didn't know. And I always thought you were a SoCal guy uh, through and through, born and bred, uh, but you were trained by Killer Kowalski in, in New England. So tell me about it. I'm assuming that's where you grew up or that's where you were living at the time. And tell me about uh, training with Killer Kowalski. Certainly. Uh, well, no, you are right. I am a SoCal guy through and through. Uh Born and raised, uh, actually, in the town I still live in, Yucca Valley, California, which is um, about two hours northeast of Los Angeles, up in the desert, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And uh, growing up, was a huge wrestling fan, obviously. Uh, the movie Rocky Three kind of really got me into pro wrestling. I explored WrestleMania 1 after seeing that and became obsessed and became a huge fan like we all did. And after high school, you know, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I knew I needed to save money. I knew I needed to get my body in shape. So in the process of doing all that, I researched wrestling schools. And this was in the late 90s. And researching wrestling schools meant you had to send away for pamphlets and books that would then give you information on where to get trained. Watch it. Watch it now. You're aging yourself. Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah, certainly. <laughs> you were talking about that uh, that drop-down menu on AmericanRebelCigars.com. Yeah, uh, with each passing year, I got to go further and further down the list to find my <laughs> date of birth, too, man. So I'm right there with you. But, uh, yeah, like I said, this is, this, is, uh, this is the late 90s, and I basically got a lot of information, and I narrowed down my um, schools of choice to uh, the power plant – uh, which was in Atlanta, of course, of WCW fame, the Heart Dungeon in Calgary, and Killer Kowalski School. Uh, there were schools out here, but I, I really wanted to be trained by uh, just somebody that had been there and done it all. And, you know, I'd saved up money and I'd worked really hard to go to wrestling school and sacrifice a lot. And I actually met Bret Hart, and he was the one that recommended Killer School. And I'm thinking to myself, if he's going to recommend Killer School over his own um, family's school, which, you know, that's neither here nor there either. Uh, I, I took that up and, you know, uh, Walter had trained uh, Hunter Soundsley at the time was blown up in the WWF. And, and uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I knew who he was. I knew how famous he was. He's one of the iconic villains of our industry. So I kind of just 19 years old, left home and moved up there with a single specific goal of training to become a professional wrestler. So complete culture shock, complete move to the opposite end of the country 
And that's where I got my start. That has to be pretty crazy moving, uh, going from one end of the country to the other. Yeah. And, and talk about culture shock, uh, from the, the, the sunny, uh, laid back living of, uh, of the LA suburbs to the, uh, the, you know, the, the Boston area, uh, is, is probably, uh, probably hard to adjust but so uh much respect that you uh that you did that most guys would have just gone to their local schools so much respect and uh tell me a little bit about training under killer kowalski old school i'm assuming oh very very much old school um his school at the time was in malden massachusetts um on this um street corner you had to walk up a couple sets of of squeaky stairs to get there and um uh you know my first day my first day of professional wrestling training was the day that Steve Austin won the title from Shawn Michaels and WrestleMania was actually at the fleet center in Boston that day. So it was March of 1998. I remember that vividly, but I remember walking in and just seeing this huge ring with all these humongous guys, just beating the piss out of each other and immediately became a little bit intimidated. But at the same time was like, Hey man, you came all this way to do this and we're going to do this. Um, the actual pro wrestling part, I took to really quickly just because I had an athletic background and I was such a fan. I had watched so much wrestling and had obsessed over it. I kind of knew the motion of how to do a lot of the moves and fortunate enough for me, Walter, knowing how far I traveled just to go to his school, he really, uh, he really appreciated and respected that so much so that he kind of took me under his wing. I would travel to and from classes with him pretty much every day, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'd go to church with him on Sundays because he really loved to go to church. We go out to eat all the time. So I really had the benefit of some one-on-one and some extra training with, with, uh, Walter, which I, I value more than anything. And that made it a lot easier for me because like I said, I was 19, 20 years old, very, obviously very green, very inexperienced just to the ways of the world. And that kind of put me at ease and it, and it gave me the, you know, just it really amped up my passion and my drive to really want to succeed at this and, and, um, amplified my love for, uh, everything that is pro wrestling. Yeah. You know, so a lot of people have to pay their dues before they earn that trust. And it seemed like just, uh, making the move that you did from across the country, uh, at that age, uh, earned the trust immediately, which is, uh, in hindsight, you know, obviously a great, a great thing because to have, uh, you know, a guy like Killer Kowalski, not only as your trainer, but as your mentor, taking you to church and then and showing you the ropes. Uh, that's huge. So uh, so kudos, yeah. kudos to that. So you headed back to L.A. and the indie scene in the late 90s. I know this because I a lot of guys uh, uh, were coming into WCW from the indie scene in, in Southern California. And then when we did the XWF, we brought in some guys from there and that never ended up going anywhere, but uh, it really smartened me up since I was talent relations to everything that was going down there. If you look back at the ra- the talent that emerged from the, the Southern California indie scene in the late 90s, early 2000s, it's like a who's who, really. Tell me some of your memories about, about that time. Obviously, you were green, you know, just getting uh, your wits about you as a wrestler. Uh, but looking back, tell me some stories or some memories you have of that time. Certainly. Um, well, I mean, long story short, I basically, uh, being a single guy, just going to wrestling school and working a regular job, graveyard shift, I kind of ran out of money and became a little homesick and basically had to had to come back to Southern California. 
um, after being out in Massachusetts. And uh, Walter had recommended a school out here called the School of Hard Knocks run by Jesse Hernandez. So I basically moved back home and continued doing the exact same thing uh, out of the frying pan into the fire and started training at a local school up here, uh, getting booked, becoming part of a promotion up here, really finding my feet and starting to have a lot of matches and gaining some experience. And after a couple of years of doing that, was lucky enough to catch on with a group called uh, UPW Ultimate Pro Wrestling that was run by Rick Bassman out of Huntington Beach. And that was basically a developmental at the time where, you know, the developmental system wasn't nearly what it was today, but there was, uh, you know, there was one in Louisville and this, there was this one out here. And so I was able to get eyes on me in the, in the form of different scouts, be it Bruce Pritchard or Jerry Briscoe or Kevin Kelly or Paul Bear. You know, those guys would come to our big shows and I was teaming with Nova at the time and he was, he was popular and hot off of an ECW run. And then he went off to go to the WWE and, you know, and I was wrestling with guys like the prototype who obviously became John Cena, who was John Cena and just, you know, had a lot of eyes on me and started getting a lot of recognition. And from that began uh, getting booked outside of California back East when the Indies was still booming and, get getting the opportunity to do a lot of uh, dark or enhancement matches for WWE. Anytime they were out in the California, Arizona, Nevada region, I was actually lucky enough to go to one WCW TV taping in San Diego. But unfortunately it was at the very, very end of WCW's run. And God, I couldn't, I can't tell you how miserable that of an environment. <laughs> that was. And it was so, it was, it was intimidating for me, but I remember walking in and I was in catering and just, Man, you would have thought you were at a at a funeral or something. It just oh, kind of was. <laughs> yeah, it was just re- it was really really just completely night and day different from my experience being backstage at WWE. But the times being what they were, and the future being what it was going to be, I, I can see now why. But yeah, I just started getting a lot of experience and became a bit of an indie darling for a while, and and was lucky enough to get very busy and uh, basically become a full time independent wrestler in the. Um, in the very early 2000s. That's awesome. And yeah, it was like an eight-month funeral, so imagine that. It's yeah. Br- brutal. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't believe everything I see on the internet, but um, it, it does say on the internet that you and Samoa Joe and John Cena used to free rap. Uh, yeah. Freestyle rap? Uh, I'm, yeah. an old, I'm an old guy, so I, I, I right. think that's right. Um, tell me about those. Do you have any audio tapes of those? You could, like, market them and sell them. Oh, you, Samoa man. Joe, and John Cena uh, freestyle rapping? Jeez. I wish. Well, I mean, like, you know, we, when we would go to training um, uh, in UPW, and, and the school is about two hours from where I lived, but I would go every Tuesday, every Thursday, and every Saturday, and the guys that were there all the time were – John Cena, Samoa Joe, myself, without question, sprinkling a few others, but we were there because we were guys that were dedicated to what we wanted to do. And we were friends. Um, and a lot of times we would go basically have uh, impromptu Samoan barbecues at Samoan Joe's house uh, right after class. Cause he lived in garden Grove, which wasn't far down the road. And we would, and uh, basically I would, I would kind of listen. I'm a rock and roll and a heavy metal guy. So I would listen as Joe and John kind of battle wrapped and would, you know, try to string together a couple, couple horrible rhymes and, you know, just have fun. We just talk about, you know, we were all kind of like throwback style stuff and like old school video games and just, just have fun. You know, we were all just kids, just pretty innocent, just getting our start, you know, finding out 
what what this business is going to have in store for us but yeah that is true you know you're we just we were we were hanging that was kind of our click at the time and and um all of us went on to do you know exactly what we wanted to do but in different ways yeah i mean it's 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 there there's no doubt that the three of you in different ways like you said had uh talent from the get go and uh were naturals in this business um, but could you would you have thought back then that Cena would uh, you know go on to be the face of WWE and then and now a, a worldwide celebrity? Did you think he had that in him? I certainly did think uh, he had that in him. How big he was going to get, I couldn't have possibly imagined that. I don't know that he could have imagined that. Sure, but and I've said this from day one. John's, in my opinion, uh, and I don't talk to John nearly as much as I used to or would like to anymore, but you know, we're both very busy him more. So obviously his best attribute attribute always, in my opinion, was his work ethic. And I think to this day, that's why he's gotten so far. He's always been a guy that prides himself on being the hardest worker in the room. And now he's branching out to Hollywood. And he's one of those guys that just, that's just perpetually busy. And he likes being that way. And he was like that back then. Like I said, he was one of those guys that was in every class, even when he didn't have to be, he was there. Uh, he just was a sponge and just soaking up every ounce of knowledge he could. And uh, I knew that he would succeed uh, to the level that he has succeeded. I uh, wasn't quite sure, but, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of him. It's cool for me being a, a, a buddy of his from back in the day and a guy that kind of cut my teeth along right alongside with him. It's very, very cool to see what he's done. I'm, I'm one of those people that, it, I, I like success and I like it when my friends are successful. And I like when I hear successful stories. And uh, if John does good outside of the business, uh, it's good for the business. Cause I think high tide rises all ships and he's, he's killing it. And so is Samoa Joe still for that matter. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. All three of you are doing great in different, totally different ways. Um, I, we talked about being on the same world wrestling all-stars tour Um I am assuming that that is what led to you joining TNA because I know Jeff and Jeremy Borash and Scott Diamore ran that tour. Uh, so I'm assuming that's the what led to you joining TNA. Hundred percent. Yeah, I did the one. Uh, we did the one in the UK, uh, Ireland, Scotland, England. Um, we had Switzerland, and then uh, met Jeremy and Jeff and Demore. I kind of knew before that, but I was and I was pals with him. And then did the one in Australia uh, in um, early 2003. And pretty much a couple weeks after that is when I got my uh, TNA tryout and um, had my tryout match and was booked the next week and was booked the next week. And so I was like, well, I guess I got a job here. I didn't really know. But uh, that was 2003 and I was there until, you know, until 2014. So, uh, yeah, that's what. Uh, that's 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 what led to the initial meeting of guys like Jeff and guys like Scott and guys that were kind of uh, had stroke and were in power at the time. I didn't realize you were in the first Ultimate X match, uh, which I find fascinating. We had Scott Hall on a few weeks ago, and uh, he was talking about that first ladder match that him and Shawn Michaels had that, you know, yeah. that really set the tone for, you know, everybody and their brother doing a ladder match. Uh, everybody and their brother doesn't do Ultimate X matches, but it's become the signature X Division match. How much thought went into making that match legendary, and were you surprised it's become their go-to X Division event? Uh, hearing the initial concept of it, I thought it was really cool. Cause I was, 
you know, I never considered myself a cruiserweight style wrestler, but I was a daredevil style wrestler. I enjoyed ladder matches and I, I enjoyed it, enjoyed the high risk uh, style of certain guys at the time. And the concept was really cool. And we were brought in and we were going to be the first ones to do it. And they had, these delusions of grandeur that the that the actual structure was going to be built and set up the night before, and we were going to have all day to go in and practice it. Well, uh, and I've told this story before, so if anyone listening has heard it, I apologize. But we were brought in, and they uh, basically had just started trying to build the structure, which consisted of sticking uh, steel poles inside the ring posts and putting an uh, uh, X up with cables and. I went up and tried to climb on that and the whole thing collapsed. Uh, they were there all day, just scratching their head. Didn't know how they were going to get it to work. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a mess. And then finally, literally maybe an hour before doors, they put up the structure using basically lighting trusses, which has kind of been the standard of how that match, how those, that structure is built to this day. Uh, but we didn't, we weren't able to go in and, you know, basically practice doing anything on the structure. So myself, Chris Saban and Michael Shane went in there kind of blind. We had a lot of ideas and, you know, we were saying like, okay, we might have to call audibles because we've never done this. We don't know how this is going to work. And, uh, there were a couple of hiccups, but the match for all intents and purposes came out great. Uh, we were very excited, uh, very happy and relieved most of all. And it was a cool concept. And, I was fortunate or unfortunate enough to do dozens, if not multiple <laughs> dozen matches of those uh, over the years. And a lot of them were incredibly exciting. Uh, I think at a certain point, TNA really prostituted that match out. And it because of that, it lost a bit of its luster because they were doing them every other month after a while. And it just a gimmick match becomes less special when you present it that often. But yeah, it's still the one thing that's unique to TNA that I think is a cool match and something that guys of the cruiserweight and that daredevil variety are still doing. And they're doing some amazing things in that match to this day. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you 100 percent. Was that first one? Was that in Nashville or was that in Orlando? Yeah, no, that was in Nashville. Yeah, because was, I wasn't um, there. So yeah, no, this was uh, this was, I want to say, late August of two thousand three was that very first one. Gotcha. Two thousand five, you went to WWE. Uh, you had a cup of coffee there. Tell me about that and uh, why why it didn't last longer. Yeah, that cup of coffee did not taste good. Um, <laughs> that uh, you know, um, and, and I've, again, I've said this before. That was uh, uh, me being there and me leaving is a hundred percent on me. I um. I wasn't uh, I wasn't mature enough as a wrestler, and more importantly, I wasn't mature enough as a businessman to be in that company yet. Uh, wrestling for me was always it was it had become my sole source of income, and I enjoyed it. I loved it. But when I got to WWE and got on the road, it became a job, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And it was very much a corporate structure. Um, I wasn't necessarily used to that because even though TNA was what it was, and you can attest to this. It was, it was different. It was a lot more laid back. WWE is a publicly traded company, a corporate structure, and things are done very much by the book. And I, at my very core, am a rebel and not good at following instruction. And it just did not, it did not sit well with me. And that's 100% on me. That's not on them. And it just wasn't a fit at the time. It was just not for me at the time. I, I, I missed my friends. I missed being home. I missed wrestling the way I thought it should be and uh, decided to part ways. And um, 
you know, naively thought I would step right back into a featured role at TNA, which certainly did not happen. But, uh, you know, I learned a lot going up there, uh, leaving TNA at the time, going up there, seeing how things are done. It was a great learning experience. And that's what I can take away that even though I wasn't necessarily ready to be there, it was a positive learning experience for me on, uh, oh, this is and can be a business and this is how they run it. And it's very different. And it was very eye opening. Sure. You know, I try to teach. I know you have a young son and I try to teach my my kids are older. Uh, I've always tried to teach them. And Kevin Sullivan was the first person to, to actually teach me this lesson, the devil, uh, that, you know, everybody makes mistakes and everybody goes has wrong turns in life. And it's about learning from those mistakes and those wrong turns and putting a positive spin on them and learning life lessons that uh, separates, you know, somebody who's going to be uh, successful from somebody who's just going to have excuses all their life. And uh, it's ironic that Kevin Sullivan is the one who taught me that, but I've always uh, believed in that and uh, uh, glad that you saw it as a learning experience, put it all on you. And uh, and you moved on 2006 and back in SoCal, had a huge feud with Scorpio Sky. Uh, do you think it's somewhat ironic that like 12 years later, you guys are Bring of Honor Tag Team Champions? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I I, uh, I remember that, that feud happened in PWG, which is a now a very popular sure in, in an organization out here at the time was gaining a lot of steam. And I remember, I remember picking Scorpio sky as a guy I wanted to have a feud with. And I, uh, at the time in PWG was given a lot of creative freedom and him and I did a, a whole year, a whole year feud and had some incredible matches. And he's one of those guys they just had immediate chemistry with both in the ring and out of the ring. And we had some just knockdown drag out matches. We complimented each other very well. And uh, yeah, it is ironic that as we sit here in, you know, mid October, 2018, he and I are the ring of honor world tag team champions, but uh, not very much, not so ironic that I didn't think that this wasn't a possibility because he is an incredibly talented, gifted performer. And it's one of those guys that just for, whatever reason, never caught a break. Uh, there's always, I'm sure you've seen a lot of them in your years, Dave, just guys that are, can talk, got a great look, are incredible in the ring, but just for whatever reason, never caught that break. And he finally did catch that break last year. We, you know, we, 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 uh, got, got him, uh, to get a look at ring of honor and he impressed immediately. And, and, uh, he's been killing it ever since. So, uh, it, crazy to think that that was, you know, like you said, 12 years ago, but here we are and we're both uh, on top and we've both survived and been through the grind. It's funny how the world works. Uh, so you went back to TNA and <laughs> pardon me, I'm doing research for, for your, uh, when you first went back and I'm seeing things in the same, like in the same paragraph, even like four corner mousetrap match and cuffed in a cage match. Uh, <laughs> I, I can uh, only imagine who came up with that, bro. <laughs> uh, uh, nothing against you, bro. But uh, I'm just wondering, what were you thinking? Were you thinking, what the heck am I doing? I was in the first Ultimate X, and now I'm cuffed in a cage and in a mousetrap match? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he's not my bro, so you don't have to worry about <laughs> that. But uh, yeah, man, I, I came back, and I they kind of put me with Raven, me and a couple other guys, Johnny Devine and Michael Shane, because we didn't have a direction, and that was – uh, that ultimately failed, but it was cool to learn from Raven. And yeah, then I, I kind of broke out and I, I began a feud with, um, with Dustin who was doing the black rain gimmick at the time. And, 
and he carried around a rat and they uh they put us in a a rat trap on a pole match which uh if i'm not mistaken i'm assuming you're the one that had to announce the rules of that match so there might be footage of that and you oh, had to I, I definitely did i don't recall it it came as a shock to me when i re- reread it but yeah i would have been i'll have to go back and look on uh on, on their network uh right got a, so yeah. here here's the uh here's basically the lowdown of a rat trap on a pole match there's actually four poles and four boxes and um in the box was either going to be a rat trap or <laughs> the rat is rat. <laughs> so uh, rat meaning rodent, not rat yeah. meaning the other lexicon and pro wrestling. Okay. Gotcha. Anyways. So, yeah. So we had to, uh, you know, reach into these boxes and had to mime getting our hands caught in a rat trap when we picked the wrong box. And then ultimately I was able to reach into the right box and get the rat cage. And that made me the uh, winner of that match. Yeah, bro. Uh, that was good. And then the cuff to the cage, that was another uh, kind of nonsensical concept when we would do the lockdown pay-per-views where every match was in a cage, which was brilliant. Uh, this particular one, you lost the match by being handcuffed to the cage. And the last guy that wasn't handcuffed to the cage uh, won the match. I think those were the rules, which sounds uh, incredibly strange, but it happened and we all we all lived through it. And, uh, there, there was a lot more than that. I was also at one point in a, uh, ladder match, but, uh, on the hook dangling was not a world title. It was a reindeer's costumes head and myself and AJ styles killed each other in a ladders match. Uh, and I was able to actually go up and retrieve the reindeer head, which means AJ had to put on the reindeer costume and be subject to humiliation. So I, 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 to this day, remember grabbing the reindeer head, the bell ringing and looking at it and thinking I should probably be happy because I won the match, but it was just so surreal. I didn't even know what to do. <laughs> I got to say, compared to four quarters, I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, you know, we're laughing about it. That's fine. Compared to the four corners on a mousetrap match, the cuffed in the cage match, the pinata on a pole and Viagra on a pole that uh, sunk WCW, the, 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 uh, reindeer thing actually makes more sense. At least somebody's humiliated at the end, other than the entire promotion. I guess. Yeah. I guess the payoff <laughs> is, yeah, he had to put the reindeer suit on and be humiliated. Out of the five it, I mentioned, that's the best one, I think, as a as a fan, at least. I'm not saying that it was a great idea, but sure. at, least, at least that one has a stipulation that seems to mean something. Yeah, that, that match is the cleanest pig in the pen. Out of the <laughs> yeah. Don't go there, bro. Right. Hey, so uh, you uh, went away for a little while, came back, donned a uh, a new outfit as Suicide, which was a, I believe, if I'm correct, and correct me if I'm wrong, that that was initially a character on a video game that became uh, a wrestling character, not a wrestling character that became a character on a video game. Is that correct? Yeah, that was the that was the. Uh... Uh, wildly successful uh, TNA <laughs> video game. And by wildly successful, I mean, it may be sold five units. Uh, what a poor game that was, but that's again, neither here nor there. Yeah. That character was in the, was in the video. Hey, game in all and- fairness, I just want to say Vince Russo didn't book that, that game. So he, he's off the hook on that one. 
He may, he may have not. I don't know. Um, but uh, this character was uh, from the video game, and they, uh, someone at TNA had the bright idea to bring this character whose name was Suicide to life, and they thought that would be a good marketing idea to have a character called Suicide. And uh, they, they still do. Come on, Frankie. Hey, man. Uh, okay, you know I can't. If 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 that fits into it shouldn't their be, shouldn't, marketing I sh- team, fine. Yeah, I shouldn't be and, laughing. Yeah, for whatever reason that this was a uh, this was bestowed upon me and I fought city hall and I fought against it and I even recommended guys that would be good for it but they they said they trusted me and they needed me to do this so I uh, gave it the old college try and tried to kind of reinvent my style and and uh, ultimately that character like so many in that company at that time was booked rather poorly and that kind of fizzled out before anything really even happened. But talk to me. I was going to ask you about that. You're, you're, you're a new character, but you have a wrestling style that the fans are familiar with. How is that? Uh, how is that creatively to have to uh, almost reinvent your style? Uh, you know, and not just once you have to do it uh, regularly. Yeah. I mean, I, I really took it as a challenge when I finally accepted that this was what I was going to do. I was really just, uh, I kind of went back to a, a school I had trained out out here and tried to learn a lot more Lucha Libre based stuff and tried to even hit the ropes differently and all types of different stuff. But ultimately I'm, I'm a, I'm a guy that's been on TNA television for five years at the time. And then I'm just in a bodysuit. It's, it's really, you can kind of tell, uh, but I just took it as a challenge and really tried to to make it my own. And I, I, and, uh, I tried to embrace it and I had a lot of really, I thought unique ideas that I pitched to the office regarding that character at the time that were maybe edgy, but very cool, very, very modern. And, uh, those fell on deaf ears. So I just, uh, you know, I can't say I was disappointed, but I wasn't having as much fun as I previously had, or I would in the future. And just, uh, you know, started clocking in and doing as I was told and waiting for, uh, you know, the next shoot to drop in terms of what was going to be next for me. Yeah. Uh, there's been like six or seven or eight different wrestlers that have portrayed that character, but they all mimic the moves that you spent all that time coming up with. Is that in like sort of a, uh, it's, it's sort of a weird way. Is that interesting to watch the different, uh, wrestlers trying to do your moves? Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's kind of cool. That's uh, I've never really thought about it that way, but that's that's a cool way to do it cuz I did debut several new moves that I hadn't done or a lot of moves that hadn't been seen on American television and um you know, I I had a I had a vision for that character to be kind of like what Tiger Mask is uh in in Japan where uh that basically that costume can be passed on and on and on and there could be suicide one suicide two and you know people know that there's always a different person in the mask but the character itself will live on and i remember pitching that specifically to dixie and um the problem is i don't think she knew who tiger mask was (laughs) um but why uh, and why would she well, of course, you know, she, she owned the wrestling company, but that's again. And I was, I, again, and then this was me trying to make this thing a success and like, wow, this could be cool. You know, Tiger Mask is, is an uh, incredibly successful wrestler and character in Japan. And why can't this be the American version of Tiger Mask? Let's, let's do something with this. And it wasn't just her, to be fair. I wasn't just her. I pitched that to, I pitched that to anybody in the, in the creative who would listen and uh, got, obviously zero feedback on that. Yeah, it was, it was funny. Cause when I, I was back as the ring announcer for 
about six months last year when uh, it became Impact Wrestling, and they had Caleb Connolly doing Suicide. And I'm watching Caleb, who I think is a tremendous talent, uh, standing alone, and he's doing Frankie Kazarian suicide moves almost. And I asked him, he went back and watched the videotape of you doing Suicide, and and is and God bless the guys for at least caring enough to keep the the character the same. Uh, do you have a favorite of all the different guys that have done it? Oh man. Uh- um, let's see. There's, there's rumors that it was Samoa Joe. It was Angelina love. It was a fist. <laughs> um, I, I gotta say the favorite's gotta be the first and that's gotta be myself. You know, I think I really tried to take that character on, uh, and put it on a different level and do something different. And like you said, that's cool that Caleb went back and actually learned and studied, uh, the mannerisms and the moves that, uh, that I gave that character. Um, you know, there's rumors that Chris Daniels did it and anything Chris Daniels does. I'm a fan of, uh, obviously TJ Perkins was great, uh, is, is incredibly talented. Uh, uh there's probably been a, a bunch I'm missing cause I kind of wasn't Okada suicide. Uh, possibly, possibly. Well, was Okada, mean, did, oh, did they send Okada to TNA to, 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 is, am I thinking of the right guy? Because I'm not a big Japanese wrestling guy. Okada was at TNA, and he wasn't suicide. He was, uh, he was basically just a a generic Japanese wrestler. And then eventually they put him with Samoa Joe as uh, his sidekick, kind of like Kato was to the Green Hornet. That's kind of the that's the big idea they had for Okada, who's now you know, one of the best wrestlers on planet earth. No, absolutely. That was my point. I'm pretty yeah. sure that he had a run at least for a couple of months as, uh, when he was there uh, at suicide. No, no, no. There, there was another Japanese wrestler and, um, uh, uh, God, his name, I, I apologize to him because his name escapes me now. He took over. Um, okay. he All took right. over for a while. Got, and it, it's killing me that I don't remember my name. Cause I was quite friendly with him. He was a great dude. And, uh, I actually wrestled when he first got in the costume and I came back as my, as Frankie Gazarian. I wrestled him on several house shows and he was a very talented guy. He was, he was also, I think a Scott Demore uh, trainee or associate. There's a lot of them out there. Uh, okay. So you moved on to fortune, which was supposed to be, uh, 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 sort of like the next four horsemen. Um, I, I actually thought it could have been really big. Um, I, I, I sort of lost my gig with TNA around that time. So I, I didn't really get to see it play out, uh, in person. Uh, but, 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 uh, what were your thoughts on putting you guys together and what do you think they could have made? Could they have done anything? Uh, and if so, what could they have done to make it a, an iconic group in TNA? Uh, I, I was actually very thrilled at the opportunity to do that because at the time I was just kind of, again, had fallen back into the I'm an X division wrestler and not really much else right. uh, putting me with AJ and Bobby and James at the time. And uh, obviously Ric Flair gave me um, a lot of confidence, gave me a lot of opportunity to cut promos and be around guys that are great at cutting promos. And we had a lot of fun with that. And again, we, we pitched so many ideas of vignettes and skits that I think just would have been great. Uh, AJ and I especially had really, talked about just different uh different vignettes especially with rick and things that things in vegas and things on jets and in limousines and they just never seemed to want to take the time to do that uh and you know we were really uh we really adamant about you know even though we were this group we wanted to kind of be our own characters and for example you know rick would pull up in a limo and maybe him and bobby would get out and 
you know, then maybe AJ and I would come riding, like I would ride in on my Harley and AJ would ride in on his, on his, um, Hayabusa motorcycle. And then James Storm would come in his pickup truck because that, you know, and sure. then we'd come together. So we all kind of had our own identities, but we were all in this group. And then we went to the ring, we were all in our suits and we were, you know, dressed to the tens and looking good. We had so many ideas. And again, kind of just like the suicide thing, it just, uh, for whatever reason, uh, uh my creative input was null and void at the time. And, uh, to this day I have every, every time I go to a convention an autograph signing, meet a fan, uh, I at least have one or two people come up and say, I loved fortune and throw up that symbol and go on, you know, basically say they could have done so much with you guys. And I agree. And it, it could have been something, something pretty cool, but, uh, like most things at that time, just, a lot of the stuff was hot shotted and it went away before anything could really get going. Yeah, it sounds like we're uh, coming up with a uh, uh, same kind of story over and over a again. Theme, yeah. A theme, yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to ask you. I've talked about this before on the podcast. One of one of my favorite things to do to this day is like on a Friday or Saturday night, if I'm coming back from a bar or, or a night out, uh, and uh, it's like two in the morning because I'm a sort of a late night guy. I have a vodka in front of me. I love to put up the uh, the the Ric Flair uh, Jay Lethal uh, back and forth. It's still one of my favorite things to watch. I don't know that there, I had Jeff Jarrett on a couple months ago, and I asked him if that was the most entertaining segment in his opinion in the history of TNA, and he definitely said it was top three. Um, and it's how hard was it not to laugh being in that ring? I can't even imagine because I was hysterical laughing. I was there. I was hysterical laughing. Uh, uh, and I know I know Mike Tanay was and Taz and all the, the comments. I mean, everybody was losing it. Uh, how hard is it to stay in character? Well, apparently uh, so hard that I completely failed, because if you go back and watch that at one point, I just completely lose it and start cracking up. Because, uh, like, as you know, those guys, uh, Ric Flair doesn't rehearse anything. Those guys are basically just supposed to go back and forth a little bit. And it turned into that. And it was just <laughs> one of those moments. And I, 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 I remember them going back and forth and just knowing and just hearing the roar of the crowd and knowing it was something special. And at one point, Rick took his jacket off and did a. This, this, just this bizarre little hip thrust. And for whatever reason, that got me. And I just. From the rest of the point on, I just lost it. And I looked over at AJ and he had his face buried in the turnbuckle. And we're all just, I don't think any of us kept a straight face at that point. It was, it was hysterical. And, uh, what, what a fun moment that was. And there was a lot of fun moments in TNA. That was certainly one of them. Next time I drunk watch it, uh, I'm, I'm instead of watching the actual uh, back and forth with Rick and Jay, I'll have to watch you guys, uh, trying to keep your composure in the back. Uh, oh yeah. But um, any thoughts on the Claire Lynch storyline? Just going to leave it at that. Oh, man. Again, <laughs> uh, another uh, question I get asked often. And I apologize. I, you no, know. no, no, no apologies necessary. That, uh, again, that, that's that's an angle that uh, went completely south and in a different direction than we had uh, anticipated. Uh, we had spent a lot of time kind of developing a story that would have been a I think a really good story, but, uh, for reasons way above our pay, pay grade, uh, it didn't happen myself and AJ and Chris Daniels. And at the time, uh, Eric Bischoff and Jason Hervey and Dave Lagana uh, spent a lot of time collaborating and coming up with ideas. And, uh, I had a pretty good story ironed out and uh, ultimately couldn't tell that story. So what we got was 
the Claire Lynch angle. And, uh, it, uh, was not the best. I'll leave it at that. It was not the best. I was just at a signing this weekend and some fan had me sign like four pictures of me with Claire Lynch and holding a fake AJ Styles baby, uh, which was odd, but, uh, yeah, uh, the, the positives of that was at that point I had earned trust with the management uh, along with Chris Daniels to go out there and deliver entertaining promos and come up with entertaining creative and uh, was able to have that uh, collaborative and creative freedom with, like I said, guys like Eric and Jason and Dave and, and those guys were very open and eager to hear my ideas and our ideas, which was completely different from what I was used to with the, with the uh, regime that uh, preceded those guys. Yeah, actually, I was going to talk about that, and I will in a second. But uh, uh, just your thoughts. Do you think the Claire Lynch thing was the TNA's jump, jump the shark moment? Looking <laughs> back? Um, I didn't think of that until we were, we just started talking about it. And I'm just wondering if, the, you know, the, the, that term that got, uh, I remember watching that happy days when I was a kid, uh, and, and Fonzie jumped over the shark cage and, and that became a, uh, uh, a term, a verb. Uh, yeah. do you think that that might've been the jump the shark moment? Man, that's so difficult to say as a company like TNA <laughs> when you're talking about jump the shark moment. Because we talked 30 minutes ago about a, uh, a four-corner mousetrap match. <laughs> right. Well, oddly enough, you mentioned shark when you have a, a, a character called Shark Boy talking like Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> and then you have a, a character, Abyss, that killed his father. God, there were so many jump the shark. I think TNA has jumped jumped oceans full of sharks in their, uh, in their history. But I don't know. I I mean, uh, oddly enough, I do remember being told uh, that that summer we did that, that those segments were amongst the highest um, watched of the show. So uh, oddly enough, people were into it. I don't yeah, know. No, people were. It got a lot of buzz. And uh, if I and I if I remember correctly from uh, again, I wasn't uh, I wasn't there at that point. But from following a little bit on TV, it just was the payoff that didn't work. Oh, um, you you mentioned it. Uh, I was going to ask you about it. Uh, started teaming with Christopher Daniels as Bad Influence, later The Addiction and now SoCal Uncensored with uh, Scorpio Sky. It seems like, and you mentioned it a little bit, you finally had an opportunity to be yourselves. Uh, was that planned or was that, was that an organic thing? Like, uh, like you and Christopher just saying to yourselves, you know what, we got nothing to lose at this point. Let's just have fun. That pretty much the latter that had happened. Uh, fortune, uh, as we discussed, had just basically broken up. James, right. uh, Bobby had turned on James, uh, Chris and AJ had just got out of a feud. Um, so fortune was no more. Uh, Chris and I were kind of left kind of off on our own. Uh, I believe Alex Shelley or Chris Saban had just gotten hurt. So the machine guns weren't a team anymore. Beer money wasn't a team anymore. And we saw an opportunity to fill in a void that was left in the tag team division. And we knew because we were already at that point, best friends and had been traveling together for years. We knew that us as a team would work. So we, we pitched it uh, to the office and they said, okay, we'll try it. And it worked immediately. And we became the go-to tag team at TNA and basically the, the working heel tag team that kind of uh, was able to 
to lead that company as bad guys that could cut promos and get people into seats and get people to hate them. And uh, it just worked immediately and it's worked ever since. Yeah. I was going to say it's still working. Uh, So you left TNA for ring of honor. Tell me a little bit about what happened behind the scenes. If you can on, on that. Sure. Um, Contracts were coming up in 2014. I remember uh, Chris Daniels deal was up in April. Mine was up in June. Uh, I remember on an overseas tour of that year, earlier in the year in January, uh, you know, we kind of hit a wall with that company and I kind of made up my mind and told myself, you know, when my deal is up, there's no way I can stay here. I just, I, I was starting to feel kind of like I did during my brief stint in WWE where this was just, it was, it was, it was work and it was, uh, exhausting just being there. And I need, and and I'd been there for a long time and I think it was just time to go. There was new management in place and, I don't think that management particularly uh, knew exactly where they were taking the company, what they were doing. Um, so uh, Chris's deal came up and they told him they wanted to part ways. And we basically already knew that we would uh, kind of have a spot in ring of honor or the opportunity to have a spot in ring of honor. Uh, so my, my last couple of days there, I remember talking with management uh, at the time and they said that they were going in a different direction. And I said, that's fine. All I wanted to keep was the name bad influence and, they said we would talk about that and there was discussions about that. And ultimately I just decided to sever all ties and we moved on as the addiction to ring of honor and, uh, immediately, uh, just, just fit like a glove into that locker room and that roster at the time. Looking back, uh, you had, like you said, a heck of a run with TNA. There's a lot of ups and, and some, and a lot of downs. Uh, what, what, when, you know, people ask me when I look back at WCW, you know, what do I remember? And, uh, Time has a way, for me at least, to heal all wounds. So the negative stuff sort of goes to the back of my mind and the, the good stuff sort of goes to the front. I'm wondering what your thoughts are in hindsight about your time in TNA. And I'm like you, certainly. There's there's no reason to dwell and, and think about the negatives because ultimately there was so many more positives than there were negatives. Uh, I, I met lifelong friends and colleagues and people that I became very friendly with and people that to this day are like family. Um, I mean, for God's sakes, my, my wife, I was going to say you met your wife, right? Who, <laughs> who said to say, who said to say hello, by the way. Yes. Uh, same here for the record is one of the nicest people in the history of the business I've ever met. And there's a lot of nice people, but she's sure. up there with like Bobby Eaton and SoCal Val, just uh, one of the nicest people, Tracy. And uh, uh, glad that you're, you're doing well. Uh, how old's your son now? Uh, he's actually going to be tomorrow. Uh, as of this recording, he will be six years old tomorrow. So wow, that must be a handful. Yeah, cool. Oh yeah, it's cool. He's uh, his first year in school, full time in kindergarten. He's having a blast, and and yeah, and like I said, she's 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 the best. Uh, you know why she's with a schlub like me? I'll never know, but I'm the luckiest man in the world. Uh, yeah, and like I said, so I you know I met obviously my wife there and so many of the wrestlers and my friends were at my wedding and just guys that are lifelong friends and will be friends until they throw dirt on me. Uh, and a lot of good times down there in Florida, TNA and, you know, for a while. And I say this a lot, there was a point where TNA was then what NXT is now. It was the, the, the hot young new guys, the, 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 uh, really innovative wrestlers, the really, uh, the place that had a lot of, buzz and good positive news coming out of it that was tna for a while and we were killing it and it it was a a a fun atmosphere for many years uh just um ultimately faced the law of diminishing returns and 
management being what it was, just couldn't really hold that ship together. No, it seemed to hit a wall after they went live and that didn't work head to head on Monday nights. It seemed like that was always the goal. And when that happened and uh, and, and it wasn't successful, it seemed like they hit a wall, uh, didn't know what to do next. But that was just my my thoughts. I, I'm not speaking for you, for sure. Um, so about a year ago, you uh, Ring of Honor started drawing bigger and bigger houses. And uh, I guess folklore or real life, I'm not sure, is that uh, somebody asked Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter if they thought you could sell out a 10,000-seat building. And he said no. And I guess, as we all know, in hindsight, that was uh, what led to uh, All In uh, this uh, uh past summer and uh i was i didn't get to see the show because i what was supposed to be tickets to what was supposed to be leonard skinner's final concert at the jacksonville f- football f- field which uh of course as we all know you're a rock and roll fan uh the bands never really retire right they, uh you know kisses on its uh final final retirement tour coming up in 2019 and right. i remember- I remember 10 years ago when they did their original retirement tour. But um, but I got to be at StarCast for a few days and I saw you. And uh, uh, what were your original thoughts when you heard that Cody and the and the Bucks were going to go all in, so to speak? Did you have any idea that uh, that it would have been as successful as it was? I knew it would be a success because of how passionate those guys are and because of the enormous fan base that they've created and, and a fan base that exists outside of the WWE umbrella. I knew that people would flock to that. Um, I had a premonition it would do great. Uh, And the fact that it sold out in 38 minutes, uh, 28 minutes, whatever it was, uh, that really, I think, proved to a lot of people inside the industry and outside the industry that that fans are chomping at the bit for something different uh, and an alternative. And uh, knowing those guys as well as I do, uh, you know, being completely transparent, those guys are – uh, among my absolute best friends, brothers, business partners, etc. I knew that those guys were going to make that show a success, and they certainly did. And that was uh, probably hands down the funnest weekend of professional wrestling I've ever had in my in my twenty years of doing this. It was a blast. I, like I said, I wish I could have gone to the show, uh, but it was fun just to be a part of that weekend as well. Um, were, were Cody and the Bucks even surprised that they sold out in 38, 28 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it was? Did that oh, even yeah. stay, surprise them? Yeah, they were, they were elated. I mean, I know that, you know, they were talking to them, to them that week. They were hoping for certain numbers uh, the first day. And, um, but when that happened, they were just blown away and just almost overwhelmed and just, yeah. uh, just, and it was, and I was, and I was, I was vicariously, overwhelmed with them and happy with them because I'd seen the hard work that they put in and, and uh, to see it basically grow from a seed being planted from a tweet to what it was, was just uh, certainly cool, certainly uh, positive. And I think we need that right now in wrestling and in the world, more positive positivity. I do not disagree. I'm going to wrap it up with you, and I thank you for your time. But I wanted to ask you just a couple more questions. Um, nobody knows for sure what's going to happen in six months, but uh, Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling are scheduled to do a uh, sold-out show in Madison Square Garden. Uh, that's, there's two things left on my bucket list uh, to uh, accomplish in this business. One is uh, ring announce in Madison Square Garden. One is uh, to ring announce a WrestleMania. Uh, probably neither will be checked off, and that's cool. 
is is that something that you're looking forward to? You know, we, we don't know for sure what's going to happen in six months. A lot could change. But is that something you're looking forward to? The chance to, you know, have the opportunity to wrestle in that in that historic venue? I, I would be lying if I said no. Uh, I mean, you know, ultimately, after years of doing this uh, again, you can attest uh, arenas basically just run together. It's an arena. It's another arena. It's another arena. You, you may like some a little more than you like others, but ultimately they're just buildings with seats and lights that hold fans. Um, but I've been fortunate enough to wrestle in places like Cork and hall and places like the ECW arena and just different, different places that have a rich history with pro wrestling. And I have not been fortunate enough to wrestle in Madison square garden. So Certainly as a kid growing up, whose first ever pro wrestling show being watched on VHS tape, talking about dating ourselves was WrestleMania one <laughs> from, uh, Madison square garden. Um, and, uh, kind of circling back killer Kowalski, when he would run shows, he would use the ring from WrestleMania one WWF oh, wow. gave that, gave that to him as, as a, as a gift. And when, uh, we would set it up because I would help as being a ring crew kid as I was when we would set up the pad, the pads, uh, one of them would say, you know, fifth Avenue with an arrow pointed toward that way or 24, whatever, whatever the streets are around Madison square garden, the pads were situated to where this one had to face this street and this one had to face this street. So it was really cool, uh, being in that ring and like, just thinking like, wow, this is where Tito Santana was and Ricky Steamboat and Hulk Hogan and Piper. Uh, and uh, I've wrestled at Hammerstein Ballroom, which is great. And it's right across the street. And always seeing that building. And it's like yeah, that thought always crosses my mind. Like it would be nice. One time would be nice. If I never got the opportunity again, I would, uh, I would be a happy man. But to, to walk those halls and, and, uh, and to be in that building will be something that's very special. Sure. Um, not to put you on the spot, but uh, two years ago, if you'd have told almost anybody that AJ Styles and Samoa Joe match with the headline SummerSlam for the WWE Championship, I think that uh, they'd have called you crazy. Um, and we all know that that happened. Uh, any interest at all in uh, down the road uh, in possibly going to NXT slash WWE? I'm going to give you the most cliche answer that I've ever given and never say never. Uh, it's uh, like you said, two, uh, two, three years ago. Uh, I mean, look at the faces of the guys that are in WWE. When you talk about AJ and Joe, who are work, certainly working on top right now and guys like Bobby Roode and, and Eric Young. And um, there was a time that WWE wasn't going to touch anything that had the, you know, we used to say the TNA stink on it, but those days are gone. And the business has changed a great deal just in the last five years or so. So, uh, and the future is I'm very, very optimistic about the future, whether it be, uh, you know, nationally or internationally. Uh, I think, uh, in fact, I know I'm going to have a lot of opportunities to do a lot of different and cool things. So uh, I'm, I'm a guy that's going to certainly explore and weigh every option in front of me. Um, I uh, am smart enough now being 20, almost 21 years in to know, to uh, to look at every opportunity and give every opportunity the respect it deserves and and uh, see where see where my career takes me. I mean, there's still things I want to accomplish. I I want to I want to be a guy that's remembered for changing the business and helping the business progress and not just kind of be you know a bolt in the machine. I want to be a guy that that 
when they, when they look back is among those that helped progress the business and take it to the next level and take it uh, and bring it to a different generation of fans. And uh, where I'm going to do that, nobody knows right now, but uh, I'm, I'm psyched and excited to do that. Yeah, it might be fun. Uh, just throwing it out there. It might be fun to see an addiction versus new era. Uh, new. No, not new day. I'm talking to my producer, Jerry Pizza. Is it new era, the team in NXT with a, uh, with uh, oh, undisputed era, which undisputed is Adam, era. Adam, yeah. Sorry, I don't, I don't, I don't really watch it. Right, but. yeah, and those guys, you know, those guys are all guys that are former Ring yeah, of Honor guys. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Certainly talented guys. Uh, and we've uh, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. We had some outstanding matches with them when they were in Ring of Honor. Uh, and uh, I, I'd love to dance with those guys again. There's a lot of there's a lot of intriguing matchups out there. Um, so. And you just never know. That's what's cool about wrestling in 2018, 2019. Things like that could happen. You never know. Absolutely. So a great talking to you and I had a lot of fun, but we're here to promote um, your American Rebel Cigars company. Uh, this Thursday pre-order start for the first batch of cigars that we mentioned that at the top. Uh, tell me how that came about with you and Cody and your partner. Certainly. we uh, Cody and I are both... Um, cigar aficionados, uh, albeit maybe uh, novices, but both uh, have been uh, enjoying cigars for many, many years. Uh, being Dusty's kid, he was around um, a lot of guys that uh, in the vein of the Keith Mitchells that like to enjoy a cigar after sure. the show. And uh, I was kind of introduced to them many years ago and we both, we both enjoy them. And um, uh, kind of in passing, we maybe a year ago, we said like, oh, we should, we should, start we should make our own cigars and kind of uh that a joke kind of turned into a well why don't we start why don't we pursue this why don't we see what's out there and so we we did just that and we we kind of put the word out there and um a uh a gentleman by the name of uh, aaron goldbrenson got in touch with me who's very very in touch with the industry and he's based out of richmond virginia and he basically knows the ins and outs of the industry and um and has a lot of connections and said that he would be uh, willing to help. And so we, we partnered up with him and he's been invaluable. He was, uh, he's the guy that kind of brokered the deal and got it done for us. We were able to have our launch at the Starcast event, uh, completely sold out, had a great uh, smoking event the last day of Starcast. And uh, it's been a huge success so far. And like you said, the real launch begins October 25th with pre-sales. And this will be the first batch. And very, very excited to, to bring this to the people. It's one of those things that, you know, in addition to just pro wrestling, I like to talk and uh, get to know people about things outside of just their interest in wrestling. For example, music, rock and roll and heavy metal and stuff like that. And, uh, and now cigars, it's, that's the new side hustle. It's, it's things that I, I like the fact that I have the freedom to be an entrepreneur and to do things like this and to bring this to the people. And we got a lot of cool things planned, like some, you know, more events and Q and A's and two man show type deals. And, uh, the feedback we've gotten has been great. Uh, all the infos at American rebel cigars.com. I'm, I'm psyched about this. My partner, Aaron, and obviously my partner, Cody Rhodes, is very, very psyched about this venture. And I uh, can't wait to get these out to the people. Yeah, it's this Thursday. They start taking pre-orders. And it says here 5,000 total cigars, but actually it's 4,995 because five are going to Keith Mitchell, as we talked about. 
those those five five certainly are going to Keith Mitchell. And I've actually I've actually been lucky enough to uh, to go to Red River with Keith back in the days of TNA and have a have a stick with him. And uh, yeah, I definitely I'm gonna have a uh, I'm gonna get a certain amount uh, myself that I can give to to friends and family. And yeah, Keith is definitely high on my list of guys that I'm gonna uh, enjoy a cigar with. I got his number if you need it. Oh, this, I got it. Oh uh, yeah. This Thursday, pre-orders go on sale. AmericanRebelCigars.com. Hey, thanks a lot. It's been a blast. Frankie, um, uh, you're always one of the good ones. Your wife is always one of the really good ones. And uh, uh, happy birthday to your son. Uh, Thank you, Dave. With, I appreciate uh, that, man. Okay. Um, uh, it's uh, great to talk to you and great to catch up, man. And, uh, you know, good to uh, kind of retell some of these stories that we both lived through some of these battles. Yeah, continued success, and you never know. There's like an iota of a chance that I might actually end up at that at Madison Square Garden uh, 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 next year. I, I, I put feelers out to some old friends, you know. I said, Bobby Cruz, wouldn't you like like an ex-Nitro guy to introduce you? And so we're... Hey, we're, that would, you know what? That, you would be a welcome addition, Dave. I hope <laughs> I see you there, man. I'm never going to do WrestleMania, so I'm going to try for this one. But if not, I wish you guys the best. Thanks a lot, AmericanRebelCigars.com this Thursday. Be sure to go by there. Only 5,000 cigars available and uh, pre-order your batch. Thank you, Frank. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Take care. Folks, as most people know, guys are absolutely terrible at taking care of themselves, whether it's a bad back or a knee injury or something worse. Guys are usually more comfortable, as they say, quote, unquote, rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. And and while I'm not real athletic, as uh, I've admitted several times, I'm guilty of it as well. I've had sleep apnea for 20 years, and uh, my wife kicks me out of the uh, bedroom half the the, the nights for snoring. A little inside info for you. Uh, But it took me 20 years to finally get fitted for one of those breathing masks, and the only reason I did is because I finally went to the doctor and the doctor told me I could have a heart attack with all this pressure and stress that uh, sleep apnea put on my heart. So uh, I am guilty myself of rubbing some dirt and not listening to uh, my wife and my family tell me to take care of my sleep apnea. And the same is actually true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get checked out for it or treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to get checked out by a doctor and get treated for ED online. Roman is a one-stop shop where a licensed U.S. physician can diagnose and ship medication right to your door. With Roman, no waiting rooms, awkward face-to-face conversations, or uncomfortable trips to the pharmacy. You do it all discreetly and online or on the phone. All you have to do is visit GetRoman.com slash ringside, R-I-N-G-S-I-D-E, Fill out a brief medical history, chat with a doctor, and get FDA-approved ED meds delivered to your door in discreet, unmarked packaging. Guys, go online, get checked by the doctor. Erectile dysfunction is a problem that guys don't seem to tackle. But with Roman, it's really easy. If you've been putting it off like I put off my sleep apnea, be sure to take care of it right now, online and over the phone. For a free online visit, go to GetRoman.com slash ringside. That's GetRoman.com slash Ringside, R-I-N-G-S-I-D-E, for a free online visit. GetRoman.com slash Ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, this Thursday is the red carpet premiere in Newport, Ritchie. If you live in the Tampa, St. Pete, Clearwater area, 
you know what I'm talking about, and I uh, would love you to come down and be a part at Cinema 6 Movie Theater of the Journeyman documentary. I've had the honor and privilege of seeing it uh, in advance, and uh, it is a very interesting look into the life of a professional wrestler. Let's just say that doesn't work for WWE or new Japan pro wrestling and, uh, and hustles out there. And it's a really fun story. We're going to talk a little bit about it, uh, with Francisco Siazzo. Uh, that is the person, him and his wife, Stormy Lee, uh, that, that are the journeymen. That's the journeymen they are following around in this very cool, very interesting documentary. If you're a wrestling fan, you're not going to want to miss it. If you live close to Newport Ritchie in the Tampa area, be sure to come out this Thursday, the red carpet premiere at Cinema 6 Movie Theater. So my guest is Francisco Siazzo, and uh, known you for a long time. Frankie, uh, welcome to City Ringside. Thank you very much for having me, Dave. Yeah, we've known each other for quite a while, and, and uh, I appreciate you having me on, and you know, we've got a lot of exciting things coming up, and um, it's just great to be here, man. I really appreciate you having me on to, to discuss this upcoming film. And, of course, our red carpet premiere coming up on the 25th. No problem. My pleasure. So the video picks up. You're living in Tennessee, which you had moved to for a specific reason. Things are not going well. How did you end up in Tennessee and what went wrong? Well, you know, I, I got a call from, from Chase Stevens, natural Chase Stevens, which, you know, you know as well. And, uh, you know, the rest of you will probably remember him from being uh, – uh, one of the naturals uh, in, in TNA. Sure. Impact or TNA tag team champion. And uh, called me about maybe two and a half years ago and, and said, hey, I got this got this opportunity, you know, here in, in Nashville. Uh, it's got some money behind it. And, you know, you and I both know how many times we've heard that story. You know, got some money behind it. Yes, sir. And, uh, uh, you know, we want you to come up. You know, I want you to come up here and be a part of it. And I said, okay, well, you know, let's see how it works out. So we went and, and did about, uh, I want to say about two or three loops over the course of a, of a three month period. And then uh, we were offered a job to come up there and, and, and move up there uh, to, to start filming a reality series that was that encompassed bail bondsmen and professional wrestling, which I thought was kind of a neat combination. You know, uh, uh, a reality show about pro wrestling really isn't interesting. And a reality show about bail bondsmen really isn't interesting. They've both been done a million times. So uh, but put those two together, it becomes pretty interesting. So I liked what I had seen up until that point. Um, you know, we had a, a bail bonds company, of course, that was behind the whole thing. And, it, and there was a lot of money behind it. It wasn't something that was just promised us. It was things that were happening right before our eyes. So it wasn't done on just a, on a whim and, a, and, and hopefully this will happen. This was all happening. So we, we had made the decision to, to move to Nashville, Tennessee and run the company with Chase Stevens, uh, as well as this bail bonds company. And, uh, and run by a woman up there who, you know, we'll discuss later on, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, uh, everything went well, you know, with the move and everything was good for the first couple of months. And, and the way I explain it to anybody at all is I literally walked in the door one day and the entire rug was just completely ripped out from underneath me. And I you know, took a big, big, big back bump without tucking my chin. Everything just crashed down around me. And, um, you know, we had spent everything we had to get up there. And, uh, you know, we, we um, uh, did everything we could to set ourselves up for a good two or three month period. And, um, um, you know, so we were waiting on this stuff to happen, you know, as far as the reality show to get started. So, you know, we gave ourselves about a three month window, um, you know, to get, to get settled in there. And within about two months, everything went, went, went awry for lack of a better term. It just went, uh, hell in a handbasket or whatever other term you want to use. Um, and, and we lost everything. 
Like we, we had maxed out credit cards and, you know, just like the, you know, the trailer uh, that, that everyone was seeing. And, and of course, the movie that you, you know, uh, have watched and reviewed, uh, we had maxed out credit cards. Our cars were, were, were about to get repossessed. Our cell phones were getting ready to get turned off. And, and we were literally at our wit's end. We had no money. And so I had to do what we had to do to, you know, to really make ends meet. And I mean, I was, you know, as, as, as ashamed as I am to say this, I was taking wrestling bookings for $25 a piece if I had to. You know, just to put food in the table, you know, put food on the table or, or food in the fridge or put gas in the car or, or to keep a, you know, an electric bill on or something along those lines. So um, everything you see in this film or everything people are going to see is, is 100 percent shoot, 100 percent real. There's no there's no acting. There's no um, uh, scenes that we had, you know, played out or, you know, anything like that. This was a real true life story that was happening in real time. So how did the idea of a documentary come about? Well, um, I, I had met uh, the director, Paul Stewart. I had known from here, Florida. He did some work with us with a, just a small independent show in, 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 in the Orlando area. And uh, he just happened to move to Nashville. It was just kind of a, a, a luck thing. And, and he told me he was moving to Nashville. And, and you know, I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, so we get up here and, you know, you know, look forward to seeing you. Let's grab a beer. You know, all that stuff goes. And so um, he all of a sudden, I get a I get a message in the middle of this hellstorm that's going on around us. He goes, "Hey, don't you? I got this project that I've got an idea for that you uh, that I want to do with you and, and Stormy, and I want you to meet me at TJ on Fridays in Murfreesboro, Tennessee." And I and I was like, "Oh, okay." And I I told Stormy, I hung up the phone. And I told Stormy, I was like, "I have change in my pocket." And this is legitimately, Dave. Like, I had no money. I was like, "We can't even afford to have an appetizer to share between the two of us." I don't know. Like, I'm embarrassed. I mean, I've never been loaded, but I've always been, you know, com- somewhat comfortable, you know, since getting into the business. And whether it was, you know, having a job at a bank or whatever the case may be, I, I always had money. I always had, you know, uh, able to go, 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 go eat for lunch or whatever. I never had anything to worry about as far as that goes. I made money. So this was the first time since I was a very little boy that I ever had to worry about. And um, it was it was a real reality check. So we go to TGI Fridays and, you know, sit down, a little water, you know. <laughs> And uh, he proceeds to tell me about this project that he had that he wanted to do a documentary on my story. And I, I literally, David, I laughed in his face. And my first words out of his mouth were, you're out of your effing mind. And even if I wanted to do this, I could just imagine how much you're going to try to call, you know, charge me for this. Do you know how wrestling is? Hey, I got something for you. Yeah, hey, exactly. Hey, thank you. Hey, it's going to cost you $100. You know, so, you know how that goes. So, um but he, 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 he smiled and said, it's not going to cost you a dime. It's just going to cost you having to deal with me and my cameras. And we're going to follow you around for however long it takes. But it's that I need. And he, he proceeded to you know, tell me why he wanted to do the story. And um, within about two weeks, we had a handshake, a handshake deal between him and I. And we, uh, he started traveling with us, slept in the car, slept on tours of hotel rooms, um, came to every show, whether it was Louisiana, Texas, Florida, uh, all through the Carolinas, uh, mid South Chicago. Um, and, and we hit the road and I, I was literally living Stormy and I both were living in our car, um, you know, week to week and, and, and wrestling as much as we possibly could and doing everything from custom shows to, you know, to, to pro shows, to everything we could to, to make ends meet, you know, and at one time, and again, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it, but in a sense, I'm not, because I mean, I had to take a job, as a prep cook at like six o'clock in the morning when, you know, for almost a month, month and a half, actually almost two months before this documentary, because I, I had literally no money. I, you know, I, I had no, I couldn't figure out how, how we were going to make it. Um, and then once we hit the road, it was scratching and calling and, 
you know, eating tuna out of a can and, and, you know, counting pennies and counting dollars and, you know, the dollars turned into fives and fives turned into tens and tens turned into twenties and so on and so forth. And we just built it back to where, you know, we needed it to be. And, um, and then of course, without giving away the ending, um, you know, we got a, a pretty good opportunity to move home and we took it. And of course it was another chance, but it was a, it was a solid chance and a solid opportunity and, and things have panned out fairly well um since we moved home i mean I'm, there's nothing that you do that's ever completely perfect there's always rocks and road and and bumps and so on but um you know for the most part everything's worked out fairly well sure so i i didn't have this question i wasn't going to ask you this question but i i see that we're going to be talking about it from your facebook page so uh tell me about the first day of filming oh <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but laugh. Uh, thanks, Team Journeyman. Appreciate it, guys. Um, but um, uh, it, it was it was kind of funny, you know. He shows up to my house with with this with like I, I'm sorry, no, no, let me back this up. He didn't show up to my house. I, I went and picked him up. He said, "Hey, I got all this equipment, and you know, uh, rather than transfer my car, let's just go ahead and and, and just come pick me up." He lived about maybe two miles from my house, um, so we went, we went and picked him up, and he had about about eight or nine big monsters bags full of you know, just camera equipment and stuff. And I was like, Hey, well, where's your, where's your team? Like, where's your guys? Or, you know, are you following us or what is, I, I was just going to work. He goes, what do you mean team? <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I don't know. You're, 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 you're boom. My guys. And you're, you're, I don't know. I don't know this crap. I don't know what to call this stuff, but you got more bags than, than we have people. So what exactly are how are you going to do this? And he said, let me worry about that. That was, that's what makes me the director and you the wrestler. And I was like, oh, okay, well, good point. I'll just go screw myself. And so I got in the car and we drove. And, and uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think we were going to, uh, uh, we were going to Franklin, Kentucky, actually. And we were going to uh, do a small show up there uh, called New South. And uh, it's run by James Carver, who's, you know, one of the intricate parts in, in, in the film as well. And one of the guys that I, I really owe a lot to, because when I had no food in the fridge, it was his bookings every Friday that were putting food in that fridge. So, you know, he followed us. That was our first day of filming. And he comes to this, well, he's used to, he was used to WWE and he was used to some, you know, shows here in Florida and, and, you know, really wasn't too familiar with the Mid-South and, and things like that. And, and got a really big culture shock, you know, um, that it wasn't, you know, this, this big time feel and, and so on. It was this, this old, like dingier type of, uh, uh, like real gritty, you know, type of indie wrestling. And I love it. You know, I love that style, that old Memphis USWA indie building and, and, but it had such a cool feeling to it. Um, and he absolutely fell in love with it from the first day. He goes, this is what I want. This is what I need. You know, this is what I, 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 I was hoping for that we were going to get this type of stuff, but I've never been had, had any access to it. And from that point on, it was just like, it was like a snowball effect of just, this, these pretty amazing uh, opportunities that had come our way to get some amazing footage with some great fans and um, some great promotions, some not so great, which you'll see as some fans that are great, some not so great. Um, but, uh, you know, for, for, from that first day that we hit the road, which was, you know, only about maybe a four hour, you know, round trip drive, which wasn't far. Uh, and of course that took us from there. We went to Louisiana and Texas, Chicago, and, you know, all points in between, you know, over a six, six and a half, I think just about seven months uh, period that he was with us. Wow. Hey, you mentioned custom wrestling. And that was one of the more interesting things that I, I took out of the film. I'd actually like to see the, his next documentary on custom, on, on this custom wrestling concept. Um, 
Tell us a little bit about what that is, and and I'm assuming it pays pretty good. Yeah, they were that that was you know one of the main things that really helped us to get out of where we were. Um, I'd never really been uh, kind of exposed to it, you know customs wrestling. It was always kind of a ha ha. Um, you know, I remember <laughs> it's not the same thing because it's not even close uh, to the same thing. But I remember as a kid reading like uh, uh, like the old Wrestling World magazines, and you would like through the black and white pages and then on the side they would be like these look like a movie reel and it would be like these apartment wrestling matches. Apartment wrestling and, matches, sure. Right. Okay. So that's that's always what I associated what I thought customs wrestling was. And in a sense, for a lot of weirdos and creepy individuals, I guess it is. But the, the customs wrestling that we were doing or that we had the opportunity to do, they were pro matches. They weren't um it was essentially if they, you know, and you know this individual, if they said, Hey, I want to see Lex Lovett and Francisco Chiazzo in a 10-minute match where Lex Lovett wins with a pile driver. Well, they, that's what they buy. That's, they buy that match with those two guys, and that's their ending. That's what they want to see. But it's, and, it's mostly so, women wrestling for, for men, correct? Yeah, in, in that aspect, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, of course, which makes it even, which makes it even creepier. But, but that goes without saying. I mean, there's always going to be some kind of fetish attached to it at some point. Um, but it, it, it's hilarious because... You know, the the first time I went with Stormy, I was because uh, she had gotten uh, uh, Tony Falk, who was a legendary Mid-South you know, guy up there in, in Tennessee, in Kentucky area. His son, L.T. Falk, and his wife, uh, Rachel, everyone calls Miss Rachel, uh, runs a, a really, really big customs wrestling company out of, uh, oh, man, I want to I can't think of the town in Tennessee, but it's not, it's, it's about an hour east of, of Nashville. And maybe an hour and a half east of Nashville. And um, uh, her, as well as uh, Destiny, um, who was, I think she played one of Tracy's mother's character daughters at one point. Uh, they both hired us to do some custom wrestling stuff. So we went to Tullahoma, which was a big joke. The road to Tullahoma, that's going to be journeyman too, uh, from what Paul keeps telling me. Um, Tullahoma is a little, little itty bitty town in Tennessee. Uh, we go to Tullahoma to, to, to do these custom wrestling, which is what, where you see in, in the film. And then of course, uh, at Miss Rachel's and, you know, we would spend anywhere between one to 10 hours a day filming these matches that these guys would buy. And it would be, sometimes I would referee and women would wrestle and they would a hair pull match and the whole match would be pulling hair. And then the other one would they would say, okay, well, we want the women to be barefoot, but we want the match to and apologize. And then they would, and that would be their scripts and the guys would, these customers would send, uh, or clients, whatever you want to call them, would send the scripts. And the girls would either approve them, deny them, and make their money. And it, it, there's such a lucrative amount, like it's such a lucrative business. I, I didn't realize just how much money there is to make in customs wrestling. I mean, I, I worked one day, and me and Fred Yehi uh, had a, I think we worked 10 matches. And I never want to work 10 matches in a day again, ever, for the rest of my life. But uh, I worked with, with Fred, and, you know, I made close to two grand wow. you know, that day. Um, just just in a ring. That'll you know, pay the wrestling. that'll pay the bill at Fridays. Yeah, absolutely. And then some. I can bring I can bring David Pender up and we can have a bar tab. There you go. Oh, oh, you're just waiting for that. <laughs> I was. I was. I had to get you back. I had to get you back. Um, but you know, the, the, that was I mean, I'm really thankful for that kind of thing. I was really thankful for that and and because that really more than you know, indie an indie shot is an indie shot is an indie shot. You know, get a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks. You know, 300 bucks between the two of us, great. You know, but when you're able to make 
the kind of money that we were making doing the custom stuff very early on. That's what really kickstarted, um, you know, our, our road back. And of course I, I make fun of it in the, in the, in the film because there's no other way to, to really explain it because I can't explain it in a serious manner because you'd be like, you crazy. How are you? You can't be serious. Well, it's not, it's all fun. And, and, but there's, there's such a market for it that I just, I couldn't say no. I mean, how, so, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun and, you know, the, I, I can't thank those individuals enough like destiny and, and, and Miss Rachel and, and LT Falk for, you know, trusting us to bring us in to, you know, with their company brand and, and, and to help us, you know, uh, make the money that we made to get us out of a hole that we were in. It was fascinating to watch. And, you know, hey, there's something for everybody, you know, who uh, who's who's to judge, you know, not my cup of tea, but who's to judge. But it it was a whole it was a whole different side of professional wrestling. I thought I've seen every side of this business and that was a whole side I didn't really know existed. So uh, if for no other if for no other reason than just to get educated and then see a little bit of this custom wrestling, you should check out Journeyman. it's unusual to see athletes, uh, tough professional wrestlers, get emotional. A lot of um, uh, the a lot of the uh, one-on-one scenes that you and, and Stormy did uh, were emotional. Talking about, I'm not going to get give away what you're talking about, but just the past and, and things that have gone on in your life, and there were tears shed by 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 both by both of you guys. Um, how 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 was that uh, to let yourself go in front of uh, basically the entire world? How hard is that? Well, you know, it, it's whenever you do something like that, you open the door for, and you know, as cheesy as this sounds, you open yourself up a big, huge door of vulnerability because you're 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 wide open, you know, um, and and you're an open book for the whole world to see, judge, make their own, draw their own conclusions, and and so on and so forth. Well it was extremely hard because it, it took me to, in some instances, to places that I didn't really want to go, but in order to do this the right way and to do it the way Paul Stewart had envisioned this, this playing out um, to tell this story, you know, this true to life story, we had to go to some of those places. And there was, there was a lot of scenes that we, of course, we just like any other film or anything else that you, you know, you do like this. There's so many scenes that you, you delete or just, you know, you omit from the, you know, from the film, um, because you can't put everything in there. And there was what everyone sees is such a small piece of what we, you know, of what we did. I mean, those interviews, I mean, at one night it was at Poe's gym who, uh, uh, was gracious enough to allow us to use his gym to film. And, you know, the, the, you know, we're talking about, I remember we got there one night at seven and it was about six degrees inside the gym. It was a old, it's an old school, like type, you know, powerhouse type gym that, you know, is right in the, in the shadow of downtown Nashville. And, you know, it's where all the big, tough, you know, football players and everyone who's, you know, gritty and chalk everywhere. And, and uh, we were there at seven o'clock at night. And I don't think we left until almost four 30 in the morning. And that was between Stormy and I both uh, doing our interviews. And that was the first round. There was still a second round. That was still a couple of hours uh, that we tacked on to the back of that. So, um, you know, there was a lot of stuff that we discussed from my past as a child to, you know, my early days in the business and who I attribute my success to and, and ups and downs. And, you know, it was a huge roller coaster ride. And some of the interviews were laughing and crying and then both. And so it, it was, you know, uh, I really didn't think about it as much when I was doing it until I saw the final piece. And when I saw the final piece, all I could do was take a big, 
big breath, a deep breath. And I remember Miss Storm and I were in a hotel room in, I think in Nashville, doing like a four day loop or three day loop after we had moved home. And, uh, and I watched the final piece with her in the hotel before heading to the event. And I, I, I said, well, this is either going to go really well or really bad. And she was like, well, what do you mean? It's fantastic. And I said, no, no, I'm not talking about what he, his work. I'm talking about when people watch this, they're either going to, they're either going to love it or they're going to hate it and just bury us for it. You know? So I was like, there's no real in between with something like that. So, you know, I kind of held my breath when I started, you know, sending this to, you know, to people to review, you know, like yourself and, and so on, because I, I didn't know how we were, what kind of reaction we were going to get, but the, the reaction that we have received has been about as, about as close to five star, you know, without trying to, blow my own horn or put myself over or anything like that but it, it's all true to life and it was it was all you know feedback that we had received not just from people in the wrestling community because to be quite honest i sent it to more of the non-wrestling community than the wrestling community because i i honestly figured if you're within the community you're going to watch it regardless if it has something new with wrestling you're going to watch it i want to get the feedback from people that that you know aren't within the wrestling industry to get their uh to get their honest feedback where because those those are the people that are your bread and butter when it comes to something like this. And we got some really amazing feedback. And uh, while it's scary, when I, I remember when, I, when we did the, the red carpet premiere, this will be considered the world premiere in, uh, in Nashville, uh, James Storm, you know, was gracious enough to come and, and watch the, the documentary along with Chase Stevens and Tracy Smothers. And, and uh, one of the biggest pieces of feedback that I received wasn't, uh, wasn't words. It wasn't something that came in the way of a conversation. I looked at, I looked over and I saw James Storm sitting forward and like watching the movie and just ever so intently, like he was so into the film. And then behind him was Tracy Smothers wiping a tear from his eye. So that, that right there was the biggest piece of the feedback that I needed from my peers that from that aspect of the movie, it engaged them. And if it engaged them, I knew we hit, we we had a we had a hit as far as you know uh, uh, the wrestling aspect of it and and the realism and um and and it really being able to draw people in, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say it's real. I mean, it, it, it's, yeah. it's 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 fast. You guys so totally open yourself up. Uh, uh, you know, even in this interview, talking about how you know you had you're taking bookings for twenty five dollars uh, just to make ends mm-hmm. meet. You know, I'm sure that's not fun to relive, but 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 it's but it's real people's stories. And uh, sure. you know, you, you you go to a wrestling show, whether it's in front of two hundred people or twenty thousand people, and you know, every every wrestler in that in 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 that in either of those shows probably has you know for sure has real life problems uh family issues or uh you know personal issues whatever it is and you don't get to see that and really you're not supposed to see that because wrestling's a show but you guys have taken as a documentary and and, and really ripped the like not only the curtain off but the door off the the uh, the door off the room that the curtain is uh is in front of so uh i i i, I, I give you a lot of props um $25 bookings to try to pay, uh, to try to keep things going in a bad situation aside. Uh, you still, even though things are better, travel far. I'm wondering, cause I look sometimes and, and I, I don't know how much you make and it's none of my business. And I know it's, it's you and, and Stormy. So it's two people, but I see some of these drives that you make. And so I'm wondering, do you have like a, um, uh, uh, 
some sort of uh, way to figure out like what your return on investment would be like after gas, mileage, food, hotel, the pay that you get, the pay that Stormy gets, the gimmick sales um, without. I'm not asking like an exact number, but, you know, what do you what do you have to make to to in your mind to to be profitable for a 10 hour drive each way? Oh, well, you know, it, it's, it's kind of crazy because somebody had just asked me that question. One of my students at the WWN training center was asking me uh, last night, actually, uh, at training. They were like, coach, you know, what, what, cause we were talking about characterization and character building. And, just, and they asked me, they said, well, what, you know, what do we got to do to really make a, a living in this business? You know? And I said, well, I said, first off, get a college degree. That's first off. Get a college degree and get and get some backing behind you and 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 have a have a fallback plan because making money in this business is is one of the most difficult things that you'll ever do in your life. I said if you don't and and that's 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 one hundred percent truth. So you know I, I I told them I said if you're not working for you know the big companies and the major companies or in Japan or on tours that's to England and so on and so forth. I said the the, the chances of you making a legitimate living are, are slim to none. I said, you probably have a better chance of winning the lottery. I said, now it can be done, but there's a lot of work that goes into it and it's a lot of consistency. So, you know, there, there's, there's formulas that I use as far as mileage. When I used to work for a moving company, I used to do all the mileage for our, uh, for our trucks and, and, and so on. So, you know, I use some of those formulas, but you figure for, for a 10 hour drive, you know, in order for us to, you know, our rent, I try to factor everything in. I factor in our rents, you know, let's say $1,200 a month and we got our car payments and our cell phones and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I'll, I'll take all of that into account and, and, and I, I do our gimmick sales on what we average, you know, on, on average, on an average show is what we average. So I'll, I'll say, okay, well, we typically sell about two to three t-shirts or, you know, 10 pictures. So I factor that in and, and it, it isn't always foolproof. You know, of course there's some weeks where, where I go, well, well, hell did I, man, did I screw up on, you know, it happened a couple of weeks ago. I screwed up on our, on our averages and stuff. And they were, they were a lot lower than I had expected. And, you know, I, I kind of screwed the pooch and we, we broke even on a loop, you know, which doesn't happen often, but I mean, you figure, you know, if I'm making after expenses, you know, $300 on a, on a booking, you know, I can, I can do that. You sure. know, I, I can get by with that between, you know, between merch sales and everything else. Um, you know, I, I can, I can do okay with that. You know, and, you know, I have some side things that I do that I, you know, that I work on just like anybody else. I mean, whether it's, I got friends of mine that are, hell, I have friends of mine that work for major companies that do realty stuff. They do all kinds of stuff on the side, you know, because they know at any given point, you know, hell, they can, their shoulder can go out, their knee can go out, or they can get let go or whatever. And they've got to have something to bring income in. So, uh, you know, that that's, you know, I, I, whether it's personal training, whether it's regardless, you know, I factor all of that into you know, what I do on a, on a weekly basis. I mean, you got to think if I leave on a Thursday to go to Texas, you know, it's 16 hour drive. Well, I've got to factor in my trans and, and all of that into my price. So as little comes out of my pocket as possible. And it's, it's, you would think it's common sense, but you know, a lot, it took me many years to figure this stuff no, out. No, no, it's, was, it's something know. I've always wanted to ask you even before this whole documentary stuff. Cause I see on social media, you're going all over the place and, and, and I, you know, I have an idea of, 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 
of what you know the average indie wrestler gets paid for a gig and sure. and you know while I, I don't know specifically it's not, like I said it's none of my business I just always wondered if you just like take bookings and hope you break break even it's good to hear that you that you have a, a way to try to at least determine that you're going to get a good return on your investment hey we opened up the uh, on Facebook where as you know we opened up the uh, the the Facebook uh, uh, for questions and sure. um, and so here's one from a guy named Ron Naimi. He says, "Tell me about Ron Naimi and take as long as you'd like." <laughs> well, as, as anybody knows, I couldn't resist. You know, you know, <laughs> as anybody knows, if there was no if there was no Ron Naimi, I got to put him over. Of course, if there was no Ron Naimi. There'd be no me. To be quite honest, I mean, it was. Um, and that's not really blowing smoke. That's 100% truth. I mean, you know, the, from IPW days, when you know, I've been after Ron to book me almost two years, uh, you know, to book me on the IPW shows. And I had just started wrestling and uh, he wouldn't give me the time of day. And then finally one day, you know, I'm sitting on the, I'm sitting on the can of all places. I was living in Lake Mary, Florida, I think or Sanford, Florida. And I get a call and, it, and, and I'll never forget the call. He goes, uh, I answer the phone. I'm like, hello. He's like, this friend, you the phone. And I said, yeah, it, it is. He's not even book. I need you June 30th. Uh, Crystal River Armory, you're working Jeremy Lopez. Man, thank you very much. And he just goes, I'll, I'll see you there. Click. And he hangs up on me. That was it. That was the first conversation we ever had. And I was like, I don't even know where the hell Crystal River Armory is. Like, I got a map to find this. I had no idea. There's no internet. I think AOL, you had a that thing, you know, and put this in. And, you know, so I didn't have a computer. I was poor. I didn't have a kid. I didn't know I didn't have anything. So, you know, I was like, well, what, what am I going to do? So I get a map. That's, <laughs> that's how we did it. That's how we did it in the old days, Frank. <laughs> I know, and I had a sharpie, and I went from I took forty four A or something from like Sanford, and went all the way to Crystal River, and uh, I remember pulling up the Crystal River Armory, which ended up being like a legendary building for you know IPW days, and I, I remember getting out of the car and I had my cooler and of, of you know I was like one hundred and seventy pounds, I had abs back then, and uh, and and I had cooler with water and 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 chicken breast and some steamed vegetables, right? And I was big health freak, and uh. So I get out and I'm met by Ron Neely at the front door and, and he goes, he puts his hand on my shoulder and he hands me my envelope, which I've been wrestling two years and I've never been handed an envelope at all ever. So he hands me an envelope and with my name on it and I put it in my pocket and he goes, how long have you been wrestling? Kid? I said, well, uh, and, and before I could even answer, he goes, forget everything you learned. Welcome <laughs> to the wrestling business. And, and he pushes me into the locker room and in the locker room, I see Jeff Bradley and Navy Seal, God rest his soul. Yes, sir. Shane Twins, Buck Quarterman, Mike Sullivan, and I was like, "Oh my God, I, this is it! Like I'm, I'm here! Like this, I'm scared to death." So I put my stuff down, and he goes, "There's, there's some drinks over there, or something, and it's water." Man, I opened that cooler. There was rum, vodka. I'd never seen any of this stuff at a show. I was like, well, I "Rum, vodka." I was like, the other was beer, and then there's Haystack Scotland Jr. in the rain trying to get dressed. Get like four people, four handlers trying to get them dressed. And I'm like, this is like, this is a freaking circus, you know? And from that point on, it was like he, he, he pointed me, book for life, Frankie Capone. So that was my name back then. And, and uh, uh, I brought him a 12 pack of beer, like the next show. And he was like, that's it, you're booked for life. And it literally has been that exact thing. I've been booked for life. I mean, anywhere he's gone or done, I've always been by his side and vice versa. I mean, you know, I went to Deep South to work under Bill DeMott when I was trying to get time with Deep South. And, and it was because of him. He, made me get in the car that day and he goes, Hey, you're coming to Atlanta with me. Um, anything we ever did, it means something to TNA to do stuff Puerto Rico and China. And, uh, and here we are at WWN working together. And, uh, you know, I owe most of my success, the majority of it to him. 
you know, and it's uh, and, and his ability to uh, to be able to take a uh, a mildly talented, uh, depending on who you ask, um, you know, guy, and 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 really create this illusion that you know because this is all fucking mirrors, uh, you know, but to really put me at the forefront of anything that he was doing, you know. Yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, 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 if you're uh, from the Florida, if you lived around Florida, especially uh, Central Florida, uh, you certainly know the name Ron Neamey, and uh, he's uh, is just one of the good ones, in my opinion. Hey, uh, you've been uh, doing Ring Warriors that airs on WGN um, on Saturday mornings. I know that you're hooked up with uh, the one and only Disco Inferno as the Slambinos. Uh, does he have as much heat? in the dressing room as he does like on, on the podcast world? <laughs> no, I don't, not at all. He's an absolute gem. I mean, you know, I mean, but I mean, then again, you know, you can only go, you can only go up from our, our old partner there, uh, tattooed eyebrows and baldy. I'm not even going to say his name and put him over, but, um, uh, you could probably draw your own conclusions on who I'm talking about. I got you. But, um, but, uh, he's an absolute gem. I mean, I know his, his sports reviews, I guess get him a lot of heat. I guess um, I really didn't pay too much attention until his, uh, I started following him on Twitter. But there's a lot of sports people that dislike this go very much. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not a big sports guy, so I don't really kind of follow all that stuff. But I pop for all the. You know, he makes fun of everybody, anybody who's like a Yankees fan, and and uh, that pops me uh, huge. But he's he's a gem to work with. Like he's I've learned in the last two tapings, I've learned so much from him. And you know, I, I worked him a couple years ago. Uh, or years back on different shows for Howard Brody, um, but never really got to know him, you know, like I had the last two two sets of tapings. And uh, uh, both myself and, and AJ Janazzo, my, my tag partner, have just learned so much just, just being around him. And, um, you know, I, I can't say enough good things about the guy. You know, uh, uh, I'm sure his, uh, I'm sure the, uh, you know, the check from him will be in the mail to me put him over this big, but he's, he's awesome. I mean, he's just a lot of fun, a blast, and, and, has really kind of honed in uh, our Slambino's characters on, on Ring Warriors for WGN. And, and, you know, it's looking forward to the next year, you know, with, with, uh, with taping it. And, sure. and see where this whole thing goes. You know, there's like a, I called it the other day, I called it the Slambino's craze. Um, you know, it, it was kind of funny because we, Howard, was Howard Brody's creation, you know, with, with, with me and Janazo, it was like five, six years ago. I was in a hotel room, you know, down in South Florida or something doing an indie shot. And, he calls me with this idea about doing a Slambinos. And I was like, I thought it was the most ridiculous name I'd ever heard in my life. So I was like, well, that's kind of ridiculous. And, and but he explained it to me and everything, but I, and then I, I fell in love with it, you know, and I was, you know, kind of AJ Janazzo was, a, I always known him as Tommy Vandal, you know, and then I was, I couldn't picture him as like an Italian Goomba, even though he was Italian from New York, just like I am. And then uh, uh, we had some variations of the Slambinos over the last couple of years, but I think beyond a shadow of a doubt, um, this version is, is quite possibly the most streamlined and, and will probably be the most successful uh, of all the versions, uh, you know, that we've had up until this point. And we're going to have fun, you know? I mean, how can you not have fun in Las Vegas? I mean, the only thing we need is David Penzer. That's the only thing Las Vegas is missing right now. Oh, God, if only. Uh, so I was, I was, I'm going to wrap things up, but according to your Facebook page, I'm supposed to ask you about the partnership with Global Genesis Group. Yes, actually, there's a huge tie-in. I'm glad you brought up Ring Warriors because there's, there's actually a huge tie-in between Global Genesis Group, my film, and, of course, Ring Warriors. Uh, Howard Lipkett, who's our associate producer and, and, and associate director for Ring Warriors, is uh, uh, 
well, the one what was was I guess instrumental is what I should say uh, the word I was trying to find in getting us hooked up with Global Genesis Group. One day I was I was traveling and I, I was frustrated because we really we were talking to a company in India. Uh, we were talking uh, I think it was Dubai. Uh, we were talking to another company in, in Japan, but we couldn't get any foothold. we really getting anything moving for the film uh, outside of just getting some bookings at some indie theaters. When and so I, I hit up Howard because I know he had. You know, he works within the movie and TV industry. So I said, hey, do you have any hookups whatsoever? I said, with, with anything. I said, I really, I really need to get something going. Yeah, I don't know what, I don't care where, what we've got to do, but we've got to get a foothold and get this thing moving. And he goes, yeah, absolutely. He goes, I'll, I'll, I'll set up a conference call. He goes, where are you going? I said, well, I'm on my way to New York this weekend. I said, uh, I said, I'll be on a plane during this time, this time. He goes, by the time you land, I'll have the conference call set up. And David, as God is my witness, by the time I landed, I turned my phone on, and there it was with the conference call time and so on. And I ended up having a conference call with Global Genesis Group while I was traveling on, a, on the subway in New York City. And, you know, we, we set up everything. And by, by Monday morning, we had the contract in our hand. Um, actually, Sunday, I actually, I actually read it on the plane uh, flying back and signed it on Monday. I sent it to Sal Moy, uh, who owns WWN, to uh, review. He said he's an attorney, and uh, he looked at it, and everything was on the up and up. And we signed it, and away we go. And Global Genesis Group is the group that represents Green Warriors as well. So it's like the tie-in between you know all the companies, and you know, which is uh, very grateful for our trailer being shown this this past Saturday on WGN. Uh, for for the TV show there uh, for Ring Warriors, um, and it, it's just one cool thing after another, you know. Um, so much so, and I'm so cynical. I'm so pro wrestling esque. I told Rodney the other day, I said I'm waiting for the hammer to drop. You know, in the cartoons where an anvil falls on your head, like I'm waiting to walk out of like a Wawa or something, and there's like I get struck by lightning or something. So I, I don't know. I'm just so so cynical, and and I'm sure you can appreciate this being in the business as long as you have, where you just you sit back and you go. All right, what's what? We're just all the good stuff now. When what's where's the where's the oxygen in my stomach that's going to come? I just not, I just I just knock on wood a lot. I knock on a yeah. lot of wood. <laughs> that's, that's a good idea. I should probably start doing that. Um, but you know, Stormy Lee and I are very fortunate, and we we're, we're excited about the film. I mean, to be quite honest, um, you know, if it hadn't been for her during that period of time, uh, I don't know if I would have made it. I really wouldn't. I don't know if I would have made it. She was really you know, the rock and not the rock, you know, uh, gotcha. the power of I, I leave, I leave me for the rock too. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, the, the, uh, I leave her for the rock. But, uh, that goes without saying, but, um, but nonetheless, I mean, it was, was honestly all kidding aside. It, it was all her. Like it was, she managed to take a hundred dollars and, and stretch it out over. I don't know how long, you know, um, while I was, you know, crying in my cereal, you know, with no milk because you couldn't afford it, you know, she's hustling and moving and, and making things happen. And, and really, really was the, the MVP of, of, of Bonnie and Clyde pro wrestling and, and team journeyman and, and making this whole thing, uh, and, and essentially making us survive, you know, through the whole thing. And, um, you know, I know the movie's called journeyman and it's, it's essentially about me, but it's, it's really a story about us. And it's really a story about our struggle and, and, you know, being in a relationship in this business isn't easy. And of course you could attest to that being in a business as long as you have. I'm sure you've seen plenty of people that are in relationships in a business and nine times out of 10, they don't last. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's attributed to, to her strength and, and, and my ability to, to let go and just give her the reins. And when I did, that's when things started to flourish. And um, I can't thank her enough 
you know, as much of a pain as a rear end as I am. Um, she has to put up with me. She's an absolute saint. It was like St. Jude and Saint. there should be St. Stormy because she has to put up with me day in and day out. She's a good girl. And for the record, I'd leave both of you for the rock, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> hey, so if, if somebody if somebody can't go to uh, uh, the, the red carpet premiere in Newport Ritchie this Thursday at Cinema 6, uh, how, uh, is there a venue uh, set up yet where they could where could either download video on demand? Uh, how can people see, or how will people be able to see uh, this documentary? Uh, as of right now, this this theater showing is probably going to be the last one for this year. Uh, Global Genesis and I had a meeting in Las Vegas about this very thing, and they were just at Mitcom in in Cannes, France, uh, representing the movie, and they're taking the movie, you know, just to through some worldwide distribution. I don't know necessarily what all that means, the ins and outs. Um, I do know that they ask that we hold off on any more theater showings as of right now until they get everything rolling as far as, you know, uh, as far as the movie and the way they want to present it. Um, and, and they we had about an hour long meeting. So as of right now, uh, once this, once this ends, we're kind of going to go dark as far as being able to, to, to watch the film, unless you're media or, uh, someone who's going to be screening the film uh, until the the re-release um, uh, of the movie, and it's done for various reasons. Of course, the main reason is they want to do it, the, you know, quote unquote, the right way, uh, for lack of a better term, on my part. Uh, um, of course, I don't know all the ins and outs of all that. Uh, we are going to be doing some like Comic Cons, uh, WrestleTopia, and Justin Desan as part of my my team journeyman is going to be taking the uh, film as a uh, private screening type booth uh, for. Uh, to, uh, uh, we've got Rhode Island scheduled, I think. We've got Virginia. Uh, we've got Heroes and Legends in Indiana. And then we've got the mark out at the Meadowlands uh, WrestleMania weekend. So that's going to be the biggest one that we do. But they're going to be sparingly until we until we do the actual uh, worldwide release uh, of the movie itself, the Global Genesis. And, you know, right now they're selling, you know, they're, they're distributing the movie to, you know, the investors. And I, I really think that at that point, you know, the sky's the limit for us once we, once we do the worldwide premiere, because I, I, I really think that it's got a lot of legs. So, yeah, it's, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a roller coaster ride for sure. And, uh, and a real, you know, real look into, uh, uh, you know, a couple of, uh, uh, a husband and wife that are, you know, down on their luck and just trying to, uh, to, to make it. And, um, and I, I definitely give it, uh, Five thumbs up. And uh, if you happen to live uh, in the Tampa area, uh, be sure to check it out this Thursday. The Red Carpet premiere in Newport Ritchie at Cinema 6. And if not, he just told you a bunch of places that you could see it, including in the Meadowlands uh, area. And um, hopefully we'll have when we if we do get like if, if you guys do pick up a video on demand type thing, uh, we'll update the, the listeners as well. But if you get a chance to Absolutely. see Journeyman. I uh, would suggest you do it. It's a whole other side of the business that you never get to see. And for me, that's always fascinating to see all the different sides of, of, of anybody's uh, career because it's not all it's not all glory. Not even, you know, God, not not even like the Eagles or the or, or the Rolling Stones. I mean, they have a lot more glory than not glory. But, you know, it's still all not it's still all not glory. You know, it's a, a lot Absolutely. of work. And uh, and. And so it's always fun to see the behind the scenes side and, and, and your guys, uh, 
stuff is fascinating. So uh, I look Thank forward you. to uh, to seeing you at the uh, premiere. I'll probably bail before the movie because I've already like watched it like three times uh, in the comfort of my own home. But uh, but but if anybody comes out and they want and they're interested in buying or selling their house, uh, I'll be happy to hand out real estate cards and uh, and just th- yeah. hey just throw just throwing it out there. But hey, thanks Frank for getting on the phone and uh, being a good sport and uh, and and much success to you and Stormy and I really enjoy enjoyed the the documentary so i hope uh i hope a lot of people get to see it over the next year or so thank you very much david and uh, uh good luck with the podcast and everything and if there's anything i can do to help you with the realty company please let me know i definitely you know do everything i can to push it make sure people buy houses in david Penzer. if you know anybody just let them uh just give them my number but uh but and and, and tell your people on facebook if they have any additional questions they can send them to me uh in a self a self-addressed stamped envelope and i'll get you back on and we'll get everything taken care of i aim to please but uh i'm just i'm just ribbing you but uh uh just busting your chops uh but uh, i love it but i asked all the questions they wanted me to so i hope everybody's happy all right thanks frankie and uh, don't forget journeyman the documentary uh as, as i said before i highly recommend it I want to thank Frankie Kazarian and also want to thank Francisco Siazzo. Uh, good luck to both of them on different premieres. And uh, uh, the cigar, AmericanRebelCigar.com is where that uh, this Thursday, there will only be 5,000 cigars that will uh, be available in different uh, variety packs. But uh, if you want a chance to be the first one on your block to own an American Rebel Cigar Pack, be sure to be uh, their website this coming Thursday, and of course this coming Thursday as well. A little more locally centrated in—is that a word, Jerry? Centrated? Sure. For today it is, uh, since we went so long. Uh, in uh, Newport Ritchie, the Tampa St. Pete Clearwater area, uh, red carpet premiere of Journeyman. Uh, fascinating movie. Uh, they're working on uh, bringing it around the country, around the world, and to your TV at some point in 2019. Uh, so uh, looking forward to that being on video on demand uh, if you can't see it a, at a live event uh, this year or next year. I know they're working on those details, but uh, you could Google Journeyman on Facebook. or Could you Google on Facebook, Jerry? Search, search. You could search uh, Journeyman on Facebook, and, uh, and you could follow their travails and, uh, and, and, and what's happening with them. But it's a fascinating look behind the scenes at, uh, you know, the real-life uh, – uh, ups and downs of somebody who's not a WWE or New Japan or Ring of Honor or superstar, uh, just out there working hard, trying to live their dreams and make a living. So uh, I definitely recommend both the American Rebel Cigar and the Journeyman documentary. Thank both Frankies for joining us this week. We're going to be back next week with another episode of City Ringside. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, it's easy, at David Penzer or at Penzer Ringside. I'm happy to uh, go back and forth with you guys, answer any questions. And uh, real excited that uh, I recently recorded an episode of Talk is Jericho uh, with uh, the one and only Chris Jericho, my old friend. And uh, we'll let you know when that's going to uh, to be on, available for downloads as well. But uh, it was a fun 75-minute, over-an-hour conversation, to basically us telling stories about WCW days. And I know you'll enjoy that as well. And Chris has promised that uh later rather than sooner but he will be on this podcast uh once his life calms down as he's doing a million and one things uh at the moment uh so 
want to thank him for having me and I uh, want to thank Frankie and Frankie for being on. And until next week, I'm David Penzer, Ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. This is a Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Guess what, everybody? We get to welcome Chef Chad Minton, the founder and the president of True Cooks. In this day and age where everybody's a chef, we've got saute chef, we've got pantry yeah. chef, we've got fry chef. We're all chefs, you know? And the term yeah. oh, executive yeah. chef is so disgustingly loosely yeah. used that during an interview yeah. process, when I ask somebody, oh, you were the executive chef of the property, what kind of volume did you do? And their response is, you know, about 200 covers a night. Okay, right. well, well, what kind of financial volume? Well, the owners hid that from me. You know, and I, I got to a point yeah. that I, I was, I, I, you know, everybody wants to be a chef and everybody wants that part. Nobody is respecting the cook. When, when I was a cook a million years ago in San Francisco, and this is the early 90s, Rich Carlton, you know, extremely competitive, you know, Gary Danko era dining room. Right. And I felt like every cook that I worked with had to, had a leg up on me. They had all gone to culinary school. I hadn't. They probably resented that. Nevertheless, when we go out, you know, for, for drinks after work and, you know, pretty girl asked them, you know, everybody what you do. These guys would say they were chefs. Yeah. But I always resented that because I knew damn good and well that we were cooks. Right. And, you know, how dare you devalue, you know, what it is we're all chasing by claiming this, you know, at 22 years old, it, right. it, it just, it, it, it doesn't fly. Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.